to Real Asian Podcast, everyone. I am Ray Lu, joined today with Alan and Praga. What's up, y'all? What's up? Good to see you guys. Praga, you are hailing from New York City. Is that right? No, no. I mean, yes, I'm in New York City, but no New York Pride just yet. West Coast mm. is the best coast, you know? Mm. Oh, okay. You're just putting it out there. <laughs> kind of represented that 212. <laughs> so today we are talking about Kung Fu Household, Stephen Chow, the, the classic film that came out, I believe, in 2004. Uh, we're going to go through a big takeaway that Pragya is going to present, Love It and Leave It. And then we kind of go over some of the topics that, that really came to mind when it came to Kung Fu Hustle. But before we get into that, I'm just going to go ahead and do a quick synopsis just to kind of refresh our listeners, kind of if you've seen the movie, just to kind of refresh it in your mind. If not, you can kind of get an idea what the movie is about. So uh, Kung Fu Hustle is set in, 19, in the 1940s, Shanghai. Our main characters are Singh and Bone, and they aspire to join the Axe Gang, the notorious gang led by Brother Sum that rules the town through violence and tyranny. When the Axe Gang attacks Pigsty, a rundown slum, three of the tenants reveal that they are Kung Fu masters and successfully defend the town. However, the landlady decides to evict the trio in fear of retaliation. The town is attacked once again, but this time it's revealed that the landlady and the landlord are themselves Kung Fu masters. To counter this, the Axe Gang hire a deadly master named Beast. And Beast eviscerates Singh during an encounter with the landlords, while the landlords are able to save Singh's badly beaten body I didn't realize I wrote an alliteration there. Uh, <laughs> Singh survives because it turns out that he is a Kung Fu master too. In fact, the greatest Kung Fu master of all. Singh ultimately overpowers Beast in a final battle, so much so that the Beast surrenders and accepts defeat. And there you have it, Kung Fu Hustle. So, Pragya, why don't you take us through your big take? What is your biggest takeaway from Kung Fu Hustle? So the biggest takeaway from Kung Fu Hustle is it's absolutely what you expect of 2004. It's chaotic and it's iconic. So if you're going to watch mm. one Hong Kong film to really just understand the decade, this would be the one. For wow. people who aren't super familiar with um, you know, Asian film or are just starting to dabble in it, I would describe this as the Mean Girls meets Pulp Fiction of the <laughs> East. So it's got wow. like those That's iconic moments. That was a good. <laughs> yeah. That was a good description. Okay, so I've got some agreement. We'll um, explain. You know, I on feel that like later. that's probably how Steven pitched it to the producers too. It's like, you know, Mean <laughs> I, Girls, right? <laughs> I feel like this was before Mean Girls, but I'm not sure. But uh, after the fact, we could totally describe it with that. It's also got like white chicks elements to it. But anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, if you haven't seen it, go watch it now. And then also definitely it's the film that it's like the one film you want to bring up when you're super drunk at the bar, because <laughs> I feel like just like some interesting chaos should ensue. Mm. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think you named Kung Fu Hustle as one of your top uh, impactful movies. Is that correct? I might have. I, I We did a few of those, so I don't know which one, but I think it was definitely in one of those. And I'm actually yeah. a fan of Stephen Chow. And I think that's something that like you may have mentioned, which is like, why don't we talk about him more? And I'm like, yeah, why don't we talk about him more? So yeah, why don't we? Talk about him. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, and you first time you watched it, what was the first time you watched it? Okay, so I have a really fun story for the first time I watched it. Um, I came to America when I was six years old, and that was in 2000. And so when we were going back to India, uh, like I think my second time we were going back to India, I would always look forward to like the 
of in-flight movies and Kung Fu Hustle was one of the in-flight movies at the time mm-hmm. and I started watching it and I was so traumatized because I, I saw the scene where like the landlady's fighting back and I was like everyone's dead someone got beheaded <laughs> you know so that was my first time <laughs> like, it. but it definitely had an impact so after I grew up a little bit I was like oh okay this is pretty chill did they have that guy's ass crack in the plane movie the whole time too, you know? Uh, I actually do not remember this. I was a child, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I might have just very noticeable like, lost. this time around. <laughs> you would have remembered the ass crack. <laughs> yeah. What I have, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Alan, do you remember the first time you watched Kung Fu Hustle? To be honest, not really. I, I know I watched it around the time that it came out like 2004 2005 or 6 I, mean, I know it came out 2004 but it must have been a couple times after i don't recall who we watched it maybe we watched it with stanley and kevin but i do I remember like watching did, it back yeah. in the day still funny then it's still funny now yeah it, it definitely still holds up because i think i watched kung fu hustle first and then i watched shaolin soccer afterwards Ooh, yeah i think back then too it kind of came as like a combo it's like so, you know, Stephen yeah. Chow movies, these are, you got to watch Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer. And mm-hmm. I think I, I was probably more into like Kung Fu genre at the time. <laughs> so I was like, oh, let me, let me check out this Kung Fu Hustle movie. And then because I loved it and I was like, well, I have mm-hmm. to imagine what Shaolin Soccer is like. And I think Shaolin mm-hmm. Soccer is probably equally up in that, at, you know, level in terms of just mm-hmm. comedic timing and chaotic and randomness but also heartwarming in a way Mm -hmm. Uh, i actually feel like i kind of like shaolin soccer a little bit a little bit more uh, than kung fu hustle okay Uh, so i haven't seen that one again as an adult because i think like you i just watched it like i think we used to rent um vhs from the library to watch movies and i think that might have been how i was getting access to some of these films back then Right. But yeah, I don't remember that one as well. But I did get to rewatch Kung Fu Hustle during quarantine when we were really bored and just watching films on Discord. So yeah, <laughs> that's why I was excited to talk about this one. I, I think I like Shaolin Soccer more, to be honest, too. I mm-hmm. think it's because uh, there's silliness in there, but there's it's like iconic silliness. But there there is some in, in um, Kung Fu Hustle as well. But I think mm-hmm. after rewatching it again, it, it just felt like um, it's kind of like you're you're on a roller coaster ride, and, mm-hmm. and you anticipate all, you in your memory. You think all these great things are happening, then it all happens at once, and then there's a moment where you're like, "Oh, that's that's it. That's that's the end of the movie." It, it kind of <laughs> felt that way for me after rewatching it again. I might feel the same way with Shallon Soccer, but I might have to rewatch that again. So I actually watched Kung Fu Hustle after watching his Journey to the West ones, and those ones were like long. And like, just, I think it's a trilogy and my friend made me watch them. So I think after that, I was like, oh, Kung Fu Hustle, we got through this. It was fun, great timing. Mm-hmm. So you felt it was short. I was coming out of a marathon, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I see the reason why I kind of like Shaolin Soccer too, even though I think objectively you could argue that Kung Fu Hustle is a better movie in terms of like plot, li- plot line, storyline, and the, the production of it too. I think for me, it's just like, because Shaolin Soccer was, it's like splash onto the scene. People were just like, what the hell is this? It's kind of like a cool classic. <laughs> and people who knew like the success of Shaolin Soccer led into Kung Fu Hustle. And so Stephen mm-hmm. Chow kind of was able to make this more polished, probably had a little bit bigger budget to make Kung Fu Hustle. But to me, it's like yeah, Shaolin Soccer has that kind of charm to it because it was mm-hmm. like the first of its kind. 
and his so distinct, his whole, whole style. And I think that's why I kind of have a little bit more of a personal tie with Shaolin soccer. But mm-hmm. either way, I mean, when I talk about Shaolin soccer, Kung Fu Hustle obviously is still good. Yeah. I mean, if we knew we were going to talk this much about Shaolin soccer, I would have sent you guys um, the reel or the TikTok I saw, which was like Shaolin basketball, where these kids had just like set it up, (laughs) where they're like doing like (laughs) lion dancing, but playing basketball is crazy. It was really fun. So (laughs) I'll send Mm. it to you still. Yeah. Another thing about your comment and your big take about, you know, kind of like it's Mean Girls that meets Pulp Fiction of the East. You know, you think about the the praise and the accolades that everything, everywhere, all at once got. And one of the mm-hmm. praises about the movie was because it was like genre bending, genre changing, genre blurring, like mixing mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And then I, when we were watching this movie and I watched this movie in preparation, this, I was like, hmm, you know what? Kind of Kung Fu Hustle kind of did it, did this mm-hmm. too. Like they kind mm-hmm. of, Stephen Chow did this already where he was kind of mixing all the different genres together and it like, it like so random that it worked in a way i would say that everything everywhere all at once is part of that tradition right but if you don't know the tradition of sort of like making fun of your own serious genres with like this extreme parody then you would be like wow this is so cool um but Mm -hmm. maybe it's just like not something that western audiences are so exposed to but even um kung fu hustle was a sort of uh self-aware and conscious version of mm. that type of parody like he knew what he was doing yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest i still have not watched everything everywhere all at once <laughs> <laughs> confessions not great but i'm being honest these are my confessions <laughs> just when i thought i said i watched exactly the movie right. but i actually didn't right back in 2004 <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Confessions did come out in 2004. I know that for exactly. sure. Oh, nice. That's right. <laughs> hey, yes, if, if anyone out there you want me to do a deep dive on Usher, I'm your man. Oh, we'll okay. do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming it, too. I invited myself. <laughs> I know. Just, just a random call out just in case anyone's listening. Uh, okay, let's go into our Love It and Leave It segment. Uh, Alan, let's start with you. What's the one thing you loved about Kung Fu Hustle today? Yeah, I, honestly, I think I I love how they embrace their own silliness. Mm. Uh, I think because like they they're willing to basically break the fourth wall, and they're not afraid to laugh at themselves. I, I think uh, um, you know this is kind of like the comedic timing back in two thousand four, right? It, most of it was like slapstick humor, gag reels, so yeah. on and so forth. This one felt a little bit sophisticated in that it took those type of shticks. Uh, but made it unique in its own sense. Obviously, we'll talk about this later in terms of like favorite scenes, but like obviously that knife scene was just classic. I, I still laugh about that uh, to this day and after watching it the other day too. So that's that's definitely my love it. Okay, you leave it. And my leave it. Um, I mean, honestly, did we really need that love scene? I didn't think it really did anything mm. for the movie because I, I get it. It's there to show that he's grown as a person and he gets pissed on and then like you know he it just like it just seemed a bit like um, forced into the movie and i didn't feel like it really added anything to the plot that really would have made mm-hmm. it amazing because like at the end like you know when when the movie ends and like they rekindle at the candy shop that he opens kind of it just felt kind of shooed in and didn't really mm-hmm. have any impact on the plot because he learning the Buddhist palm or Buddhist fist 
wasn't dependent on their love. It was dependent on him getting his ass kicked, basically. Okay, uh, wait. And then getting wait. his chi unlocked. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Lock no, it down. <laughs> that's where I was I was going to go there. I was gonna say that. So the reason that there's a love scene in there, or like just that love plotline is in there, is because Stephen Chow's very particular Buddhism. Um, well, it's not particular, but it's sort of like his belief system that shows in the films really values that Buddhist idea of like love and compassion is what we're going for, like uh, to transform mm-hmm. or to transcend or to enlighten. So he always has like a sentimental love story in there. And it's because he's, I guess, a romantic at heart. Aww. But his whole thing is like, there's no such thing as like lesser love, you know? And so he likes to do it with the romance. It's not like you're going to have like, you know, societal love or something. Fuck that shit. He wants mm. the romance <laughs> and he's going to put it in there. Love. Fuck society. <laughs> yeah, well, How about for mine? That's the film, right? Society. What the fool? Whatever about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I agree. It's shoot in there. It's kind of random. But I feel like that in itself is an inside joke. He's making fun of himself. Hmm. Plus, without that ra- that romance, we don't get the ice cream scene where yeah, it's like one of my favorite <laughs> scenes when he's laughing with ice cream in his mouth. And we'll get <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I feel you. I feel you. Uh, Pragya, what's your love and leave it? Okay, so my love it was the Hatchet Man dance scene. I don't mm. think I've seen anything like it. Um, I mean, like obviously, you get a whole bunch of these like types of intros where you have like a like a sort of like music and like, you know, pictures one, one being intro. shown. Yeah, yeah. But like that dance scene where like just like more members keep joining the routine and they're all like perfectly in line and then they're just like brutally murdering people in between. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that just sets the tone for the film and I like yeah. it so much. And I also feel like it's super representative of of the way that Hong Kong's film industry is sort of like, intrinsically tied with like violence and triads and stuff like that so i think they're making fun of that too because those groups can be quite violent and threatening but at the same time like they're also just like doing business with the film industry so i feel like that was another sense of self-awareness there (laughs) quick 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 question pragya so in terms of like dance sequences Mm i'm beginning the movie or at the end of the movie how would you rank this dance scene versus Slumdog Millionaire's uh, Bollywood dance scene at the end of the film. So Bollywood Which is dance- better or which one's worse? <laughs> I would say Bollywood dance scenes aren't anything special to me, right? Like we have, mm-hmm. every Bollywood movie has dan- multiple dance sequences. It'll be like two or three or four. And maybe that's why I liked it so much because like you won't mm. see dance sequences outside of Bollywood films. But when you do, mm. it's got like this like really strong comedic character to it. So I would say it's I like mean, comparing. Have you seen Spider-Man 3? That has a dance sequence. No, I have not. <laughs> oh my <laughs> not god! Oh my god! What well, Tobey Maguire has the best dance scene ever. If we're talking iconic dance sequences, okay. Spider-Man Three, Tobey Maguire. Yep. I gotta check that one out. Um, but yeah, so I would say comparing apples and oranges, the Bollywood scenes have their own charm. This one mm. definitely had a different type of charm. And in Bollywood, we don't take you know the the murder and the killing and turn it into a dance scene. So. <laughs> okay, fair. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. We haven't done it yet. We we might. <laughs> so Appar- apparently, the dance sequence or the introduction of the Axe Gang was uh, was by accident. So I think Stephen Chow re- originally did not have that sequence in the movie, 
but he was at a moment when he was writing the script kind of thinking of like how do i introduce this gang how did how do i do it and the actor who played brother sum mm-hmm. is a dancer who happens to know how to dance and so he was like oh why don't i just make him dance wow <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Now it Literally makes sense it. why they're so good because it's a good that, that's some good trivia execution. yeah um, but also he's such a good dancer right like that's what makes that scene because you're like this is like he like has like some skill going on like I don't know so that's mm-hmm. cool <laughs> yeah he's he's really funny he's really cool yeah. okay your leave it my leave it was uh, why did the first two kung fu dudes have to die. Like, I know. I, I, I know. For that, I was like, we don't. We don't got to just yeah, kill yeah. people off. No one should have to die in this film. It's this film. Like, come on. <laughs> you know, it's like in Naruto when they kill like the one person. I remember. I was really disappointed by that. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of leads into my leave it as well. Mm-hmm. When I'll start with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess I have two, but my first one is 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 yeah the finger fingernail guys. And I was like, Ugh. I remember watching. I was like, e that didn't look great and then leave it part two is the frog master guy Mm -hmm. i just remember when i watched that when i was younger i thought he was gross and when i watched it recently as an adult i still think he's actually very gross especially the part where he like actually ribbits as a frog he's like yeah he croaks yeah i was like like, (laughs) yeah really i don't know it just kind of grossed me out um plus just him in general he's just like unkept Mm-hmm. not barely having some hairs and i get that he's kind of uh a kung fu master but just like bro you gotta clean up a little bit just a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> i think my love it is obviously just the well choreographed kung fu action um even mm-hmm. like a movie like this with all the comedic undertones with it and the self-awareness and breaking all the fourth wall that you guys mentioned at the end of the day like it, it is a martial arts film and this movie would not work if the martial arts wasn't legit and actually had good choreography. And I think that was like, that's like the key fundamental part of this movie is that it, I think of it as an homage to the wuxia style and all the kung fu, old school kung fu movies that you know, we used to watch as a kid. And I'm, I'm assuming Stephen Chow used to watch as a kid. So he had to mm-hmm. make the martial arts look legit. And mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. I think the comedic injections were to change the pace a little bit, but it really, at the end of the day, for me, the action sequences is what really kept me engaged. Mm -hmm. I thought that fighting was actually quite good. In fact, I thought that, um, hot take here, I think the fighting in this movie is better than the fighting in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, (laughs) that's a hot take. That's a a very hot take. Yeah. (laughs) Because like, you know, I think with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it's too, uh, I get it, it's meant to be very wushu-y, but then this one is like, that too but it actually looks like it's legit and yeah. to me i think that what does what makes a better uh fight sequence or what better what makes better martial arts right mm-hmm. and and you actually see the protagonist like go full out versus lee mubai where it's like yeah he, he holds back the whole time it's like i know bro it, but but the best fight though is still in crash the and dragon between michelle yo's character and xi jing uh I've, Butchering her name, Zhang Zhang Ji. Like, still, that's still the best one. But overall, I felt like Kung Fu Hustle is a better Kung Fu movie than Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Hot take, mm-hmm. drop. Hot take, <laughs> <my> drop. Hot, <laughs> hot. I was just gonna say it was really creative. I think all of their special secret moves and stuff were like fun. Um, sometimes unexpected and like um, just you know like messing with the laws of physics. So it's definitely a good fun one to kick back and watch. Also, Stephen Chow ripped AF. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty ripped. I was like, yeah. okay, okay. Mm -hmm. You don't play no games. <laughs> Got the abs shredded. Mm -hmm. I was like, I see you. I see you. <laughs> uh, let's go through favorite scenes. Pragya, you mentioned a little bit about your favorite scenes. Any other favorite scenes that you really enjoyed? Um, okay, so I really loved the scene where you have the supposed leader of the Axemen gang, right? And I think he is like in a car with the with the two landlords. Yeah, and like, yeah. he thinks he's some shit. And then when he realizes he's really not, like, <laughs> it was just such good, like, I, it was comedic for me. And so it was, um, I think that's my favorite scene. And I think that also speaks to what I like about the film is there's all these layers, right? Like, first you think mm -hmm. these people are losers but they turn out not to be losers but then like they lose but then they have a secret weapon and then he has another secret weapon like mm, and like then we have one-upsmanship yeah, exactly and then our main character turns out to be the ultimate secret weapon and i don't know if i should spoil but i think there's um and he's their son so <laughs> there's all sorts of weird stuff so yeah you know that, that something that i've been thinking about that too and you just reminded me it's like an old old school comedic device like a Looney Tunes device to where if you remember in the cartoons, I think it was like Bugs Bunny and uh, Elmer Fudd where like Elmer Fudd, you know, he threatens him with a shotgun and then Bugs Bunny comes back with like a bigger gun and then Elmer mm -hmm. Fudd comes back with the bigger gun and then Bugs mm -hmm. Bunny comes back with a bigger gun. It's like a cannon kind of thing. So like mm -hmm. there's always that kind of one-upsmanship and this whole movie kind of plays on that too, which I noticed, mm -hmm. noticed as yeah. well. Although with that Bugs Bunny bit, I remember there was a one scene where it's like, and I'm gonna hit you with my disintegrating gun, and then he sh he pulls the trigger, and then it disintegrates, and he's like, "Well, what do you know? It disintegrated." <laughs> That's yeah, oh, I remember yeah. that. I remember That's cracking so up so bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what do you know? It disintegrated. It disintegrated. <laughs> so then I wonder if kids who didn't grow up on our weird ass cartoon network humor, like if they would watch this film and understand it, or if it would just all be like super cringe, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that kind of stuff, obviously, you know, I, I do think that cartoons nowadays do play on that same kind of comedic you tones so? and like old school jokes. Mm. You know, like SpongeBob obviously had a lot of those. And uh, right, right. I think I aged out a little bit, like just barely aged out of SpongeBob. But I know a lot of friends <laughs> my age were still very much into SpongeBob. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like really funny animes right now that are on Netflix. That yeah. play on that kind of stuff. That play I on that kind of that. stuff. I can see that. Because I guess like I'm at that age where my friends all have kids that are like six or seven. And sometimes I'll like interact with the stuff that they're watching or they have on their iPads. And I'm like, what is this? Like, mm -hmm. why are you learning how to code while playing a game? But also like, where's the fun in this? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, <laughs> I wonder if there's a divide at some point, like for the kids that are born, like, you know, after the movie was made. And and really, I mean, this I think that's why this movie is holds up is that it it was so silly like it was mm -hmm. so silly that you just can't help but laugh and then when you watch mm -hmm. it again no matter how old you are where you are in life you're like this this, this is still very silly mm -hmm. and that that goes into another favorite scene of mine which is the knife throwing scene why <laughs> Oh. 
Amazing. Oh, I remember watching that and I was like, that is genius. <laughs> Alan, is there any other favorite scene of yours? Yeah, I have one, but I want to quickly go back to Pragya's favorite scene. You know, you have the Axe Gang advisor to do with the sunglasses. He, he's like shouting, he's upset. And then they have the situation going on. And then like all of a sudden you have the landlords in the, in the car with them. And then like they start shaking. And then the Axe Gang advisor, like when the, when the mob folks come to the car, like, oh boss, like what's going on? He's like, keep it down like what are you what are you trying to like upset these people people live here it's just like a total flip because they're about to get their asses kicked it's just yeah. so funny yeah. the comedic timing is executed so well and i i couldn't stop laughing because it's so good at how they act and i think that's like a that's a credit to hong kong comedy films because they're mm-hmm. so good at uh portraying comedy and like getting and nailing down the comedic timing so well mm-hmm. for me it's a very similar scene in terms of the like, comedic timing and execution is and it's sort of in the beginning uh where Singh after he gets called out for trying to cheap or get a free haircut and then he starts picking fight with the villagers and then oh, like, yeah. you know like he gets beat up by the woman and then he starts calling out like you know people like looking for an easy target weak. exactly mm-hmm. and, like everyone just like obviously is just like more stronger than he anticipated he's like oh whoa, whoa, whoa. like he's just trying to like save face and this is like, one so where funny. it's like a sh- it's like a seems like a short person he's like hey how about you back there and then they like <laughs> move aside and he's like yoked as fuck he's like oh yeah. never mind not you not you and then and then like and then the kid is super yoked and then like obviously like he's just like clearly none of you guys want to fight it's just like it's just like that that type of comedy is mm-hmm. really funny and it, and it hits i don't know i think it's just because we grew up around that age and and that type of comedy is not it, it's subtle uh it's a little in your face but it's not it, it's hard to execute and master because comedy mm-hmm. nowadays like if you think of like Mick, rick and morty it's mm-hmm. a lot of like aggressive like in your face humor that's not so much subtle as it is mm-hmm. in this film and that's what i think i really appreciate about this movie and i thought Stephen chow did an excellent job with the comedic timing and execution so that was definitely my favorite scene like that 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 scene only works if you're you're appealing to an audience that understands that in all previous kung fu movies you always have the protagonist who like challenges and beats everyone that is challenging the protagonist right, right? to kind of mm-hmm. show their their strength and their abilities and skill why is it that they always pick on someone that they're able to beat <laughs> what happens if it's someone that they clearly cannot beat right um Absolutely. my favorite scene I, I this is so small but I, I mentioned it earlier is the ice cream scene i have no idea why it hasn't like it just <laughs> It has like no purpose to it. It's just when he takes the money from the the girl and he's like eating ice cream and he's like running away on the train. He's like, (laughs) 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 well, I mean, I think that's a fun, um, note about our main character right like he actually has like villainous ambitions and like he has no sort of like qualms about that he's just a dick (laughs) yeah yeah but he's also like super incompetent at being that villainous character and like there is um a bunch of blurring the lines i think between like who's really good and who's really bad because the landlady and the landlord are totally like scary for like their villagers right but mm-hmm. they also turn out to be the biggest defense, so that's cool. Annie's Tea Cakes is an Oakland-based food company on a mission to provide plant-based Chinese food options to the world. As a longtime plant-based eater, 
Annie started this business to create a way for herself and others to enjoy the foods often shared with family, but don't fit a plant-based diet. The journey started with vegan Taiwanese pineapple cakes. Follow Annie's Tea Cakes on Instagram or go to annieteacakes.com to place your order today. You know, we did an episode of The Grandmaster, mm-hmm. you know, and you were on that episode, Pragya. I wanted to pull, if there are s- certainly very different movies, but I think elements of both movies, we can kind of draw lines between. So I'm curious in terms of you, like some of the similarities that you could pull from The Grandmaster, even some of the discussions that we had on mm-hmm. that episode over to here in Kung Fu Hustle. Right. So like one thing is, uh, I didn't mention it earlier when you were talking about like what happens when your main character picks fights with people that are stronger than him, right? Exactly. But in Grandmaster, there's totally that gauntlet, right? But like uh, Tony Lung's character is just like, yeah, gotcha, beat everybody. I'm the best of all, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, best of all, no worries, not not an issue. Um, And so I think like that kind of that strain of like, that trope, I guess you could say, yeah. is is present in the Grandmaster for sure. Um, and then I think the other thing that's present is in the Grandmaster, and I don't know how many people like note this, but uh, initially they're at a brothel um, where they're having their secret meeting, and so it's all of these like um, you know super skilled martial artists, but they're um, meeting at a brothel, and so uh, that theme and idea of like you find masters of of like martial arts or just like skills in general in unexpected places and in Mm. unexpected people. So those are two of my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there is some kind of like parody and commentary, right? Mm -hmm. In in, in both movies, the the political commentary, the the societal commentary of it all. So I would say that The Grandmaster and Kung Fu Hustle are both films about, well, obviously martial arts, but then like historically also the same sort of topic of like this like war and upheaval coming out of like 18th century to 1940s. And Kung Fu Hustle goes the comedic route with it. And uh, Grandmaster takes more of like a memoir, like I want to be nostalgic. I want to take this really seriously. Mm. And and so I don't think there's a single funny moment in Grandmaster. Correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) It's all just like tension and romance. I mean, that old guy that was yelling at Zhang Ziyi's character. I thought he was. Oh, yeah, that was kind of funny. That was kind of funny. I don't know if it was intended to be, but yeah, you're right. Um, And oh, also the monkey. The monkey was funny. So, um, like, her bodyguard had a monkey on his shoulder that was always there, just doing monkey type stuff and fighting the kung fu fights. That was cool. Um, But yeah, I think. I think Kung Fu Hustle kind of like, I think um, as humans, we have different ways of dealing with our pain, right? Sometimes we laugh about it. Sometimes we cry about it. And Stephen Chow does this thing where he's like very cognizant of everything that's present, but then he will still make a joke about it. And it's not joking to like erase it, but like joking because what else can we do? We can laugh about it. All right. And he obviously this film, he does a good job of referencing multiple movies different aspects mm-hmm. of different movies pop culture references at the time to me um as you as I said it's like it's got its own self-awareness it's got its own brain in a way because it pulls on these different references and points in pop culture to let the audience think about it it's like oh yeah mm-hmm. I, I recall that and in that process you kind of realize how important this film like fits in the grand scheme of things 
So I think that's a cool thing that you note because like obviously the film is something within its own culture with the parody and like the mm-hmm. sort of uh, fun making fun of yourself. And I think it means something else to the people who are experiencing it in America or experiencing it in America as part of like Asian American culture, right? Um, especially because 2004 wasn't like, you know, um, I would say that the Asian American solidarity we have now wasn't quite developed yet. And martial arts was one of the key ways that people were able to find something in common. It wasn't like a unifying way to kind of get connected to everything other than pop culture and these movies. Mm-hmm. You would have no idea if other people watched until you made a reference or a joke about it. And like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, oh, Kung Fu Hustle. Mm-hmm. Obviously, social media has changed that a lot. You know, I remember going like going into high school when people like would mention this film like i always thought that oh i didn't know that you were into those kinds of films and then you would have that connection with that person mm-hmm. absolutely uh let's talk about the the impact of kung fu hustle where do you think stephen chow fits in asian cinema and in, in the history of it all yeah i think he's a very unique hong kong director in that he's really good at mastering comedic timing uh, martial arts as well. I mean, I know that Shaolin Soccer predates Kung Fu Hustle, but I think it speaks volumes to the fact that he's able to make, in my opinion, two bangers kind of back to back. And I think he fits into the pantheon of like amazing Asian uh, directors. I know when we went through list of favorite Asian directors, or rather like influential Asians, like I didn't, I had him on my like uh, backup list. But he's definitely up there for for me because like not only is he really good at directing funny comedic uh, kung fu movies, you know he's very heartfelt with it. There's no point at which like he's making fun of Mm -hmm. these aspects. It's more so that it's it's sort of ridiculous in its own sense. But he knows that he can push the limits the right amount of ways such that it's respectful, but that it's also fucking hilarious. I mean, Mm -hmm. another thing that just popped in my head was like when the beast like twisted the landlady's arm and she's getting ready to like be broken up and spun. And so like her husband like spins her around to cancel it out. It's like the dumbest logic, but it works. And it's just like, like these things, like he's so good at like intertwining all these dumb logical flaws that just works that he fits into the pantheon of of great asian directors and and actually to this point um he's actually supposed to be a kung fu hustle 2 coming out so Mm -hmm. i'm highly looking forward to that movie and i hope that it maintains the same level of of uh, silliness i don't know if that same type of humor will be uh, accepted as it was back in 2004 but I know that I'll be a big fan of it once it comes out because I, mm-hmm. I certainly hope that um, the humor will be the same but I also trust that Stephen Chow knows what he's doing so I'm, I'm not too worried about it and I'm looking forward to seeing it when it does come out soon you think so? well I think he's an intelligent guy no I'm not Stephen Chow I meant the sequel oh. you think it's going to be oh. good? I'm optimistic and I'm optimistic <laughs> because it's made with his own and it, it took a while because from what I read, he took a lot of care about the scripts surprisingly uh, because I thought it was just going to be something just thrown at a wall, but he took a lot of time thinking about the script and how the plot would actually progress. He put a lot of effort and love into it. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope it doesn't suck because if, and if it does, it won't tarnish any or it won't take anything away from Kung Fu Hustle 1. It will or won't? 
It will not it because won't. it can't touch it. It can't <laughs> touch it. Yeah. Mm. But I will say that I think Stephen Chow's sequels tend to be pretty good. Like he kind of understands the the possible pitfalls that he's dealing with and always like takes the time to like come out with something that will impress his audience. Like I think he's one of those directors I would say is like definitely smarter than me, which is why I stay entertained with his films. <laughs> we don't know that. Despite me, no, I do because uh, I, I watched know, all of the kung fu, <laughs> not the kung fu, the Journey to the West um, films, and so this is what I'll say also about um, his impact is that he's got this like a uh, love affair with the mythology of like Chinese culture, right? Uh, so yeah. he's got the Wu Kong, he's got the demons, he's got even um, in the kung fu film like references everywhere, not just to Buddhism but to like um, different like popular myths and stories and so i think he's one of those people that's like very well read and therefore like very good at executing despite the fact that what he executes is comedy it's still got like very strong sort of like uh writing talent behind it and like just like a a good knowledge of everything that's around him so i think that's why he's able to you know and that's why i trust that the sequel will be fun I'm a little, I'm always a little skeptical with sequels. <laughs> you know, there's talks of a Jorlet Club 2 uh, sequel. And we had, we we talked about that, Alan, mm. um, and some of the pitfalls there. Jorlet Club is like a different type of movie. Like if you make a sequel out of that, there's, especially the type of movie, it's like talking about generational mm-hmm. right, generations yeah. in between in a family. So you can just basically extend that generation. Kung Fu Hustle, I'm very interested and curious in terms of how he would do it. But it kind of the only only reason why I'm a little concerned is because it's kind of like Zoolander too. Mm. I love yeah, but that was an abomination though. <laughs> I, I, well, here's the thing, right? The first Zoolander classic, right? You I watched it recently again, and it, it still holds up, and it's still kind of the same like silliness, randomness, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. Ben Stiller type of comedy. And then Zoolander two came out years later, and they kind of tried to utilize that same pull with i guess fans of the first one and it just didn't quite work i mean there are funny mm. moments but i just remember watching it and i was like man this is not the same like this okay is, all right this i have a bad. quick i have a quick question then no. anchorman one or anchorman two see i like anchorman one i, I thought anchorman, anchorman two, two was the best i thought like anchorman two was way better i mean it was decent but <laughs> it wasn't like i didn't think it was better than the first one comedies is tough i always think mm-hmm. co- sequels and comedies are always tough i can't think of one I mean, other than like Rush Hour 2. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. It's yeah. always good, yeah. And I was going to say, it has to be something like that, where I, I, I trust that he's going to be aware of the way that the world has changed, you know, since. And then I think he's going to be able to work with that and probably like have his whole self-aware stick that he does. I don't think that can, hopefully it wouldn't get old. Hopefully, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> and my thing about it too and this is more or less like a question for myself is that, you know, watching Kung Fu Hustle for the first time, it was so silly. And I just enjoyed that type of comedy. And watching it now, it, I, you know, my mind kind of does revert back to 2004, 2005 me, and it mm-hmm. just kind of hits a certain it's like a it hits a memory <laughs> that that just still triggers some laughs, right. But then since mm-hmm. this is fresh, like I'm watching it in a much more different lens and a mindset and a more mature mind. I just wonder if I don't enjoy it. Is it me? Have I changed? <laughs> We're going to have to live stream We've all evolved. <laughs> we'll watch it and live stream the pod. Like, it comments immediately. <laughs> Commentary. So quickly, Praga, if you had to describe Chow's career, 
so far? What would what in in one word? How would you describe it? Um, chaotic, and maybe a second word would be romantic. I feel he's chaotic and sentimental. Like those are his two like polarities, and like he always、mm-hmm. brings them together. And like um, and I think when I say romantic or sentimental, I'm speaking to that quality of like he's never making. Fun in a bad way of the work that he's, you know, like parodying or using comedy、um, to、uh, tease, I guess.、Um, but yeah, I would say all of his films have that strain in them. I would say any of the films that are by him are worth watching because you will be entertained and you are sure to find both of those qualities. I think as a person, maybe that's just who he is. So <laughs> that's what comes out in the films. I would define Stephen Chow's career as romantic, <laughs> romantic in the sense that, like, I mean, he's made a lot of Hong Kong movies in the past, but I think like his breakout films have become cult classics. But I think it's more so that he was really big on acting at first, and then like for the past like what fifteen years since this movie came out or so, like he's focused more on his、uh, director. Directorial type of movies,、mm-hmm. and I think as I look through his IMDb, like a lot of it's actually shifted away from comedy. Yeah, and he's doing a lot more of, you know, he's 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 trying to like step away from like just being all comedy, and he's trying to find ways to blend his di- directorial styles such that he's known for more than just acting and comedies. When I if I'm trying to summarize his arch, if you will, like he's he's trying his best to. Expand his repertoire, and I think I really do appreciate that about his career. And he doesn't want to be, you know, shoehorned into like being a typecast type of actor or director. And I allude this very similarly to to what Leonardo DiCaprio does, because like he was very famous for being Jack on Titanic, but he didn't want to be that type of actor anymore. So he started branching out and doing different type of stuff. And I think Stephen Chow on a very similar path. Like he he's obviously well known. By American audiences for being actor in Shaolin Soccer and also Kung Fu Hustle, but I think if you look at deeper into his IMDb, like he's trying to do his best not to be typecasted as that type of person or shoehorn into those type of roles, and I really do appreciate that. And I think that's romantic in the sense that like he's rec- he's cognizant of his career and and what he wants to be, and then he's able to diversify his、uh, talents、uh, so that he's not just you know typecasted.、Mm-hmm. That's going to conclude our episode of Real Asian Podcast. Alan Braga, thank you again for jumping on the pod. I just want to say, ha 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 ha